Brad teaching the other night. I didn't know if I was teaching today. Nobody texted me. Um, so, but Ruth 4. Nobody Ruth. texted me either. <laughs> what did you say? I told everybody them to. Everybody texted me and nobody did. Well, Somehow see. I still remember that. Okay. Ruth 4. Ruth 4. Let's read the first 12 verses of Ruth 4. And um, this may at first seem uh, anticlimactic, uh, not as exciting, but I hope we can so show how profound all of this is as we look through the text. It says, Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. So he said, Turn aside, friend. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. He took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one but you to redeem it. And I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, On the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. The closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption and exchange of land to confirm any matter. A man removed his sandal and gave it to another, and this was the manner of attestation in Israel. So the close relative said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and to all the people, You are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. So the name of the deceased may not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. All the people who were in the court and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel. May you achieve wealth in Ephrathah and become famous in Bethlehem. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah through the offspring which the Lord shall give you by this young woman. Okay. In chapter 3, when Ruth revealed herself to Boaz on the threshing floor, he stated in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 3, I am a close relative. 
However, there is a relative closer than I. So, he goes up to the gate and here that close relative passes by. Naomi had told Ruth, he will not rest today until he has settled this matter. And indeed, he doesn't rest until he settles the matter. It seems like the first thing he does is he goes up to the gate and sits down. Now, what were some things that transpired in the gates of the city? What were things that transpired? Buying and selling. Buying and selling. You know, commerce takes place here. Legal cases took place. If a person's son was rebellious and disobedient, they brought him to the elders of the city, the gate of the city in Deuteronomy 21. Now, this is closer to a business transaction than it is a judicial case, though it has elements of both. It has elements of both, but, but it's not as if this is a criminal situation where someone has done wrong. This is uh, more of a business matter. But, nonetheless, Boaz goes to the gate. He sees the near kinsman. He says, well, you sit here. And uh, he sits down and he takes ten of the men who are elders of the city and said, you sit down. Now, how many elders were there? I don't know. What formed a quorum? Uh, we don't know. But apparently, this is sufficient to be witnesses. And ten witnesses is a pretty good bit of witnesses. If you have a court case, a criminal case where you have that many witnesses, I think that people would feel the case was pretty secure. So they take ten of the men who are elders of the city, and he says, you sit down. And he tells his closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, wants to sell a piece of land that belongs to our brother, Elimelech. Notice how the term brother can be used of a wider kin beside just physical brothers. Here it can refer to people who are of the same clan. Our brother, Elimelech. And he says, I, I was going to buy it for myself, but, but you have the right of redemption before me. And if you will not, tell me so that I may redeem it. Uh, we stated the word redeem is front and center in the book of Ruth after we come to Ruth 2 verse 20. I think it's used 22 times in the book, but about 14 of those, if I've counted right, and I may not have, but about 14 of those are in this chapter. You particularly see that idea appear in verse 4 and verse 6. It appears frequently there. But he says, I thought to inform you, saying, buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know there's no one but you to redeem it and I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Um, a couple of things interesting to me is at the end of this conversation 
both of the speakers refer to themselves um, in emphatic ways. We, we, we've stated before that the person that is acting in the verb in Hebrew is often included in the verb. If you have a separate personal pronoun, it is for emphasis. At the end of chapter 4, he says, There's no one after you, there's no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Both of them affirming strongly uh, their place. I'm not saying that in a selfish way, because I don't think either of them are looking at it that way now, but I'm just saying, they're saying, I, I am. And after you, I'm next in line, and he says, I, I will redeem it, basically. But he says, on the day that you buy it, you also get Ruth the Moabitess. Now, I don't know why the New American Standard does this, and you can tell me if any translations are different right here. But he says, on the day that you buy the field... From the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess. Do all of your translations divide, like buy and acquire? This is the same word in Hebrew. And maybe it just doesn't sound good to say you also buy Ruth, but Ruth goes with the land. When you obtain this land, you you also get Ruth. The reason is to raise up the name of the dead upon this piece of land. The, the goal here was that the name of Malon, the name of Elimelech, not be forgotten. And that he has descendants raised on this particular piece of land. And the man says, I cannot redeem it. Redeem it for yourself. Now, first of all, why would he have been so willing to redeem the land, but not willing to marry Ruth? Right? Well, if Elimelech's line is a dead end, then whenever... Naomi dies, it would go to the nearest relative, which happens to be him. Yeah, exactly. This was an investment, not a generosity. Yes, it is an investment. It's an investment, and really, there's no way to lose. There's no way to lose. Look, I've doubled my inheritance for just, you know, paying this amount. And so, it's not like, you know, he's seen Ruth and he just thinks, oh man, I can't live with that woman. It's nothing like that. It is a financial concern. It is a financial concern. It is, it is a matter that if he expends all this money on this piece of land, he's not going to have anything to show for it economically at the end of the day. What's going to happen is he's going to have a child by Ruth who will be an heir to that piece of land. Not only will he be an heir to that piece of land, he may have to divide up some of the rest of his inheritance. He may have to divide that up with this son or these sons that are born as a result of this relationship. And so he is willing to help 
as long as there's something in it for him. But when he sees no economic advantage, he's not willing to help. I can't redeem it. I might endanger my own inheritance. I think in many ways the conversation between Boaz and Ruth reminds us, or Boaz and this near kinsman, reminds us of the conversation between Orpah and Ruth and Naomi in chapter 1. Both the daughters were weeping. Both the daughters said, we'll go back with you. When Naomi says, there's no hope for you to get married if you stay with me. When she says that, that's enough to convince Orpah to kiss her mother-in-law goodbye and go back home. But Ruth clung to her. Ruth and Boaz are... Um, in many ways fulfilling the same kind of role within the book. They are willing to act in this way. They are willing, uh, Boaz in this case, is willing to redeem this piece of land and redeem Ruth even though this may be at great cost to himself. He is willing to do this. Now, the custom was that one removed his sandal. This was kind of um, a guarantee of all of this, removing the sandal. And uh, removing the sandal, uh, it may indicate um, power or control. Let, let, me, let me give you a couple of illustrations. Uh, at some point in our Tuesday night class, we went over Psalm 60. And in Psalm 60, this is what God says about the lands around Israel. Psalm 60, verses 7 and 8. Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim Ephraim also is the helmet on my head. Judah is my scepter. Moab is my washbowl. Over Edom I shall throw my shoe. Over Edom I shall throw my shoe. That could indicate God's dominion over the land of Edom, God's sovereignty over the land of Edom. Uh, that may be indicated there. Do you remember what Joshua was told at the first of the book of Joshua? In, in Joshua chapter 1, when God is telling him uh, that I'm going to give you the land, in Joshua 1 verse 3, every place on which the sole of your foot Treads, I have given it to you. Joshua 1 and verse 3. And so it, it indicates, you know, you control this land, this land is yours, your ownership of this land, all of those things. And so he's removing his sandal, he's removing his right to this particular piece of property. And he is giving it to Boaz and he says, you redeem it for yourself. Yes, Brad. Um, we looked at this on Wednesday in Deuteronomy 25. If the um, nearest kinsman refuses to redeem the, his brother's family, then um, the wife 
that is now widow, the widow that is now scorned, is supposed to go up, spit in his face, yeah. and take off his sandal, and he is going. He's supposed to be named uh, the family of the unsandaled one. Yeah. Right? Yes. So it's interesting that all of that. Like I don't know exactly where that comes into play here, but uh, clearly um, the the sandal is representing something about this transaction. Yes. Um, and yeah. maybe like he's saying, all right, I I admit I'm the I'm not uh, doing my duty as the nearest kinsman. Um, so it seems like there's part of that, like you said, that is not he's not really doing what he should have done here. You see a part is different. Yeah. And a part is the same. But I was just about to say, let's turn to Deuteronomy twenty five. I didn't know you stepped on my material. Uh, anyway. The sole but, of his foot trod upon your material. Yeah, that's right. His foot his foot trod upon that material. Uh Justin this may be going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but um, do you see a little bit of manipulation by Boaz in this conversation? Because he kind of frames it as, hey, I've got this land. Do you want to redeem it? And he's like, yeah. And then Boaz is like, oh, there's a catch. <laughs> well, you have to take this woman too. People, so, yeah. like, Boaz wanted to redeem Ruth. That yeah. was, and, Ru and Ruth wanted Boaz to redeem, redeem her. So it kind of seems like he stacked the conversation a little bit to to maybe make this redeemer not seem as inclined to jump on the offer yeah. as well. What what you're saying may be right, and, and certainly some people, you know, have suggested those kind of things, like Justin says, that it may be that he's He's, he's trying to, first he gives them this opportunity and makes it more difficult. But you know, at the same time, um, he's going to have to present all of that at some time or another. There's no need to say that you don't, you also have to redeem Ruth if he's not even willing to redeem the land. But it may have been that, you know, as we were stating earlier, what Ryan said, that he might have been more than happy to do that. Some have seen that, uh, Justin. I, I'm, just, I'm just not so sure because I do think you're right. I do think you're right in that Boaz and Ruth are glad that it ended this way. But at the same time, I don't want to emphasize, I don't want to de-emphasize the amount of sacrifice this was on Boaz's part. And th this, this is an expenditure and an investment of his life in this woman and this family that few would have been willing to make, as you see described here. Well, I was, I was just thinking sort of the opposite, but when he's talking to Ruth about what he's going to do, he seems almost disinterested. Uh, a disinterested party. If he's going to redeem her, uh, that's okay with me. And uh, this is yes. what he sort of says here, also. Yes. Uh, yeah. He he's well. I mean, he knows how the law goes, and he knows this person has the right once, and he's giving them this opportunity. Yeah. So, um, but 
I, you know, what you all are saying, is, you know, both, they're, they're taking opposite views, but, I mean, there's something to defend both, but at the same time, I just don't know if we have enough to be sure in that particular case. Brett? Um, it is interesting, too, that anytime somebody's talking to somebody else about Ruth, they usually throw in the Moabite. Yes. Right? Like, you know, like... <coughs> Um, almost like that wicked woman, Athaliah. Like, you can't just say her name. You have to say that wicked woman. Yeah. Like, this is Ruth the Moabite. And, and he says that here, too. Like, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite. Yes. Uh, because I think that would have been pretty uh, a stretch to take on a, a Moabite um, as a wife. And her, um, but her nationality plays such a big part in the story. Now I recognize there's not much of the story after Boaz marries her. But some have commented she's not called a Moabite after he marries her again. And I recognize that we're dealing with a very limited text. But lest we forget, let's do look at Deuteronomy 25 just a second. But before uh, we had three or four comments there. Brad asked another question. What are the similarities, what are the differences between this account and Ruth 4 and why might that be? Uh, in verse 5, when brothers live together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside and you notice the words the family in the New American Standard are in italics. I think it's the idea, but, but it just says she is not to be married outside uh, to the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her to himself as wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. It shall be that the firstborn whom he bears shall assume the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out from Israel. This word for blotted out can refer to the blotting out of sins. Here it refers to someone's name being blotted out and there is a desire that his name not be blotted out. So he wants to leave a legal heir. God wants him to leave behind a legal heir. But now verse 7, But if the man does not desire to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate of the elders... We have a little bit of that happening here. And say, my husband's brother refuses to establish a name for his brother in Israel. He is not willing to perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of his city shall summon him and speak to him. And if he persists and says, I do not desire to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the sight of the elders, pull his sandal off his feet, and spit in his face, and shall declare, This is the man who does not build up his brother's house. In Israel his name shall be called the house of him whose sandal is removed. Now, the word house is used over 2,000 times 
in the Old Testament. But notice in verse 9, Thus it shall be done for the man who does not build up his brother's house. He won't build up his brother's house. So how is he referred to? The house of him whose sandal is removed. There's a common word house there that binds those verses together. Now, this would have been around 1400 B.C., uh, that these laws were given. When we're dealing with the period of the judges, uh, and it seems like it may be later in this period of the judges, we may be around 1150 BC, about 300 years later. You notice here in Deuteronomy 25, the wife makes the charge to the elders of the city. The elders of the city try to persuade the man Try to persuade him to go ahead, take her as his wife. If he persists, then she spits in his face. She pulls off his sandal. In Ruth 4, it seems clear the man pulls off his sandal, doesn't he? He pulls off his sandal. And uh, But here, the, the wife pulls off the sandal. She spits in his face, totally absent from Ruth 4. Now, what may these differences indicate? There's enough similarity that we see a connection in the passages, but there's enough differences that we can see it wasn't practiced in exactly the same way. Could it be that the closer the relationship between the two brothers, the greater level of responsibility. Originally, this applies just in verse 25, verse 5. This applies uh, to brothers when brothers live together. So it could refer to a closer relationship. <coughs> The relationship between Elimelech and this unnamed kinsman and the relationship and Boaz, they were not brothers who lived together. They're described as brothers. We already stated that in chapter 4, verse 3. But it could be because of that, there's a greater level of responsibility and a greater level of disdain for the one who doesn't fulfill this responsibility? That that would be my um, my my first response. But I want you to see that the purpose of that law, as we stated in chapter in Deuteronomy twenty-five, verse six, is that his name may not be blotted out. His name may not be blotted out. Now notice when we go back to Ruth, even though the relationship is not as close as the relationship described in Ruth in Deuteronomy 25, we see that this, this Leverett law of marriage extended beyond brothers living together in the same house. But in Ruth 4, um, 
we do see the same purpose. Notice in verse 5, you marry, you acquire, you, you buy Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. You don't want his name to be blotted out. His name will be um, his name will be built up to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. Look in verse 10. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance, so that the name of the deceased may not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of the high place you are witnesses today. So, in verse 5 and twice in verse 10, you still see the same purpose of the original law. To leave the person who died with no heir, to leave them with someone to carry on their name. Now, uh, yes? I have a question about that. At okay. least in what we have recorded here at the end of Ruth 4 and then in the genealogy of Jesus, that's not how it was recorded. Yes. Though. Sometimes, and that is sometimes viewed as the reason for differences in genealogies in the Bible. Sometimes it may be that someone is the legal son of one person, but the biological son of another. And could you legitimately use the term father of both? The fact that you know, recently I was in a congregation to meet, not this past week, but the congregation I was at in North Carolina. There were a lot of people who had adopted children. They had adopted quite a few children, and some of them had adopted, there was a couple as old as I was, uh, that had just adopted a couple of really small children. Now, can they legitimately speak of themselves as fathers of those children? Could the people who are biologically fathers speak of them that way? Yes. And, and I, you're right, Hannah, that that is the case, that sometimes the biological father is listed, sometimes the legal father is listed, and some have suggested that's why Luke 3 and Matthew 1 may differ. I think there might be some other things going on there. But, but yes, um, I understand what you're saying. Um, I want you to see this, and, and I'm tying this in with what we just said. This is to raise up, to raise up the name of the deceased. Do you see the significance of the word? Did you see the, the, the significance of the word name in Ruth four? You have that, those verses, but also I want you to see this, verse, verse 11. All the people who were in the court and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house, like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built up the house of Israel, that they may achieve wealth in Ephrathah and become famous in Bethlehem. Become famous. Become famous in 4.11, literally means that their name may be called. 
They are going to be, it's, it's translated here idiomatically, become famous. What do your versions have there? Other versions have the New American Standard 95. What, what do others have? Have standing. Outstanding. Have standing. Ha have standing. Have standing. Do any of them preserve the word name there in verse 11? That his name may be called or something about his name. His name may be great. That's interesting. Well, look at verse 14. The women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today. May his name become famous in Israel. Now that does have the word name in the New American Standard, but it's the same phrase as verse 11. His name is called. His name is called. And probably some of your versions indicate that. Well, then we get to verse 17. And it says, The neighbor women gave him a name. And then later it says, So they named him Obed. So there's talk about their name being famous, their name having standing. There's talk about, in verse 17, how they name this boy Obed. Let me ask you a question here. What is the name of the man, the near kinsman, that is offered this right of redemption by Boaz? What is his name? We don't know it. We don't know it. Hubbard actually translates this phrase. It's the only time this phrase is used a couple of times in places in the Old Testament, but it's not used of people except here. Hubbard translates it so-and-so. He says to so-and-so, you sit down over here. What's the significance of this? The significance is the one who doesn't act to preserve the name of the dead, his name is forgotten. The one who acts, Boaz who acts, to preserve the name of the dead and raised up the name of the dead, his name in effect becomes famous. We're talking about him 3,000 years later. They experience Lex Talionis. The one who wouldn't raise up the name of his brother, of his relative, his name's forgotten. The one who did, at great personal cost to himself, his name is remembered. And the NET actually translates, translates his name as John Doe. <laughs> okay, okay. In verse 1, you're talking. Yeah, in verse 1. No, just drawing to the that, point that it was intentionally stricken from the record. Yes. So. Need I say that is a dynamic equivalent translation? <laughs> Not the exact Hebrew word, uh, but... <laughs> But yes, thank you for that. I didn't. Uh, I, I was not aware. I thought so and so was pretty wild, but John Doe is really, really a wild translation there. But but you get the idea. It's somebody without a name, and I, I, I don't know that. Again, I think Orpah, and I think this unnamed redeemer here in Ruth four. Most people. They're not bad people. They're not trying to bother Ruth. They're not trying to steal from her. They're not trying to take anything from Naomi. And, and they're, they're even willing to help a little bit if there's something in it for them. 
But Ruth and Boaz appear in the book as people who truly understand the responsibility of love and compassion that this book describes an imitation of the character of God. Brad? Oh, I was just going to... Um, yeah, we can come back to this. I don't want to step on your toes again. But in, in verses 11 through 14, lots of pronouns there um, and just wondering... Um, who that's talking about? Um, I didn't know if you were going to go into that. Okay, okay. Well, let's let's go ahead to nine through twelve right now, uh, and anything on verses one through eight. Anything on verses one through eight, Sarah? It, it's kind of interesting that that Mr. John so and so Doe does not appear anywhere else in the book. In that he's he's like. He is the nearest redeemer. He's the one who would have been responsible for Naomi, anyways, yeah. and he does, he he hasn't helped Naomi up to this point. Yes. So I mean, it's and he would and we've talked about it before. Small community. It's not like he would have been ignorant of the fact that Naomi was there yeah. and probably needy. Yeah, that's right. That, that is that is a good point. You know, why hasn't he manifest himself already? And that, that is true. It's not like it's not like no one knows this news. When he mentions Naomi, mentions Elimelech, mentions Ruth, he knows who he's talking about. And so but Boaz in verse nine says to the elders and to all the people, You're witnesses. Now the word witnesses appears in verse nine. 10 and 11. Witnesses 9, 10, and 11. Uh, it is the same word used back in Joshua 22. You remember in Joshua 22, the name of the altar is witness. Now that was a singular term. This is the plural term, but it's the same word. But he says, you are witnesses today that I've bought this from the hand of Naomi, from all that belonged to Elimelech, and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. And, and um, some, some say, uh, and Justin, in, in response to what you were saying earlier, that here he's showing, now he's revealing all he's getting, and this may be an indication of his deception before, but, but I, think he, I think they would have both understood how much would have been encompassed in buying this piece of land. He gets all that belongs to Elimelech, all that belongs to Chilion, all that belongs to Malon. And he says, I've also acquired Ruth the Moabitess. Again, her nationality is mentioned, as Brad alluded to earlier. The widow of Malon to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance so that the name of the deceased may not be cut off uh, from the court of his birthplace you are witnesses today so that we're witness again very prominent the people in the court and all the elders said we are witnesses we are witnesses and may the Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah I want you to see I don't want you to miss because this is the key point. This is one of the key points of the book. How the Lord is said to be the one behind all these blessings. In verse 11, may the Lord make the woman coming to your house like 
Rachel and Leah. In verse 12, the text says, Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah through the offspring which the Lord shall give you by this young woman. In verse 13, the Bible says, So Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife. He went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive. In verse 14, the text will say that the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today. So we find that the Lord is the one who is going to bless this house and preserve it and keep it from dying out. God's hand in the book of Ruth is key. We always have to look at the text first to see what God is doing and what it reveals about God in the book. It is interesting to me that it mentions, the text mentions like Rachel and Leah in verse 11. Now over and over in those accounts in Genesis, over and over, it is emphasized that it is the Lord who has blessed them with children. We know Leah was having children first in Genesis chapter 29. In Genesis 29, the Bible says in verse 31, the Lord saw Leah was unloved. He opened her womb. She named him Reuben because she says, the Lord has heard that I am unloved. Then in verse 33, the Bible says that uh, she named the second son Simeon because the Lord has heard that I am unloved. And then in verse uh, 35, 35, when Judah is born, she said, I will praise the Lord. God is viewed as the one who is responsible for her having children. Rachel realizes this in Genesis 30 that Leah is having all these children. She says to Jacob, give me children or I'm going to die. Jacob says, am I in the place of God who has withheld children from your womb? But later in verse 30, in verse 22 of Genesis 30, God remembered Rachel, gave heed to her and opened her womb. Over and over through those cases, we are told that it is God who is responsible for these mothers having children. And so in the same way, may your, may your wife, this woman who's coming to your house, may she be like Rachel, may she be like Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel. Um, again, it's interesting. She mentions the women. The women are mentioned here, but 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 it's a blessing upon the woman coming to your house. Is that the type of thing that you're asking? Uh, no, but go ahead. Okay, uh, but uh, but the the women coming to your house may they be fruitful. Perez and Tamar. Perez and Tamar in verse twelve. Now, remember that Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law. 
and his two sons have died. They don't have any children. His youngest son, Shelah, he doesn't give her to Tamar. Uh, Judah commits adultery with her. Uh, Tamar becomes pregnant with twins. Um, and Perez and... Um, um, who's the other one? Zira, yes. Genesis 38, verses 27 through 30. And uh, but this line looked almost extinguished. Looked almost extinguished. And the Lord revives it. The Lord revives it. And also this would have been the tribe of Judah from which those people in Bethlehem would have belonged. So that's why they would have particularly identified with this particular case. Uh, May your house be like the house of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah. Now, I want to tell you, you read Genesis 38 and it is a sordid story of a uh, daughter-in-law manipulating her father-in-law to have a sexual relation with, with, um, with her He is about to put her to death for a sin he's committed with her. He doesn't even know who it is he's committed adultery with. When she's being led out to execution to be burnt with fire, she sends uh, his belongings to him and says, I am pregnant by the man who owns these things. See if you recognize them. He looks at them and recognizes that they are his. And um, that, that is a sordid story. And yet, they're mentioning a genealogy of David and a genealogy of Ruth. Does that mean what they did is okay? It means out of sin, God brings salvation. Out of man's foolishness, God still can weave this plan together to bring salvation. Well, it's a really similar situation because the person who should have been doing the redeeming in that story wasn't doing it either. So yes. we've got this sort of secondary redeemer. One was unwitting and unwilling and a low moral character, but Boaz, yes. you see, you know, the the better example of that. And I think that's why you see that in the genealogy of Jesus as well, because Jesus is the ultimate redeemer. He's Absolutely. The, the, the fulfillment of all this was. And um um you said something through there really well that I was going to build upon uh, the, the similarities in the story. Uh, oh, yes, another similarity in the story. Tamar was Canaanite. But the text says that uh, earlier around verses 2 and 3. You check me on that. Make sure I'm right on that. But both of these are foreign women that, that end up being the genealogy of David and Christ. But yes, good point. Very good point, Brian. Um, I don't remember where I read this. I don't know if it's true, but supposedly I read something that said that uh, in Bethlehem, the the it was the city of Bethlehem was full of parasites, like uh, the descendants of Perez. So the fact that they would be from Bethlehem, and Bethlehem is just like it's it's full of that um, that line of people yeah. from that family. Well, they, they would have been at, you know, they would have been at the very start of the line, you know, right. uh, largely. 
And so, you know, he's lost his two sons early. He has three sons. He's lost two of them. So they don't have any descendants. So, yes, I mean, I think any of the tribe of Judah, a lot of them are going to be ultimately tracing their line back to Paris. I, uh, it, it became clear after I understood you were not saying parasite, <laughs> which I thought, how do you prove that? It's it was fairly cool. coincidental. Yeah, that's right. But, but I'm not hearing well, as I've told you all. So, so, uh, but, um, um, okay, very, very good thoughts. Very good thoughts. Now, uh, we've talked about Boaz taking Ruth. The Lord enables her to conceive. The women say, Blessed is the Lord who's not left you without a Redeemer, and may his name become famous. What we'll try to do next time is, Lord willing, on Wednesday in our last class, we're going to finish this up, Lord willing, talk about the responsibilities of Redeemer. Ryan said a moment ago, Jesus is the ultimate redeemer. How does, how does the book of Ruth tie in with the whole biblical story of redemption? That's what we want to look at as well with that. There was another thing that I wanted to do. I may have to reserve for a sermon sometime. Uh, but I, I love this statement by a writer named Paul House who wrote a book called Old Testament Theology. And when he was covering this period... He says, God goes to great lengths to preserve the line of David before it even begins. Wow. Think about that. He is preserving the line of David before it even starts. God bless and Lord willing, we'll finish this up on Wednesday.